Please do be seated. It's lovely to see you all this morning. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, this is a, a fantastic Christmas day, another lovely Christmas day for us to, to celebrate. And I suspect that if I was to conduct a survey amongst you about the things that you associate Christmas with, you would all, I'm sure, would say that you are here to celebrate the birth of the baby Jesus. But besides that, I think that if you are the same as people all over the world, you would say that Christmas to you was about family. It was about gathering together with friends and with family and, and special, special folk. Yet Christmas is also about those traditions, those unique traditions perhaps to your family. Or maybe for you it's about coming to church and singing the songs and reading the readings, hearing all of those things said again. Maybe for you, and maybe this applies particularly to the youngsters or maybe to the dads, I don't know, but Christmas may be largely about gifts, about the receiving and, dare I say it, the giving of, of gifts. I want to tell a joke, and please forgive me, it's an, it's an old joke, but it, it does somehow mix together, link together these wonderful ideas of, of family and of gifts and, and of, of traditions. And it's the, the story of, of three sons who have a, an elderly mother. And as uh, so often happens these days, the sons live a long way away from their mother. And so they are only able to see her every so often. But they kind of compete with each other to give her the most special gifts to kind of assure her of their love and of their affection. And so it happens that one Christmas, each of the sons gives their mother what they think to be the most amazing, amazing gift. The first son, uh, and she's getting on, is mum, so he gives her a brand new home to live in. It's a home with four bedrooms and with all the bells and whistles that you can possibly imagine. And he thinks, there we go, I'm going to be the favorite son after having given her such a beautiful gift. The second son goes, well, I know that mum is getting on and, uh, you know, she's a little bit frail, hard to get around. So I'm going to give her the latest Mercedes Benz. But not only that, I'm going to give her a chauffeur so she can get out. The third son, who really is actually the favorite son, and he goes, no, no, I, I know my mum best of all. She's a, a good Christian soul, and her eyes are fading, and, you know, she always used to love to, to read the Bible, but no longer. So I've come up with the perfect gift. You see, he had discovered uh, a monastery where they had trained a parrot. It took them 20 years, and it took a team of about 10 monks, and they trained this parrot to recite every word of Scripture on command. And he gave this bird to, to his mother, just knowing that this was going to fill her, her evenings with scripture and that this would affirm his status as favorite son. Well, she receives her gifts and uh, she writes letters of thanks, as mothers do. And she wrote to the first son and she said, you know, I, thank you for the house, but it is far too big. I live in one little room, the rest is dirty and, you know, you've just given me a whole bunch of burdens so thank you, but, you know, really, I don't need your house. The second son, she said, thank you, I, I appreciate the car, but you know what? I don't really need to get out much. I just sit at home and I watch telly, and besides which, I can't get on with that awful chauffeur that you've, that you've, that you've sent to me as well. 
To the third son, she wrote, now there was a gift that was absolutely perfect. She said, the chicken tasted delicious. <laughs> now, I know you're going to go home and you won't remember a single other word that I say, but there you are. Family and gifts. Don't we just love uh, Christmas? I love Christmas. I really do. It's a busy time of the year, but I love it. But if I'm honest, it is so easy to get caught up in Christmas and its traditions, to get caught up in the family gatherings and preparing for them, in the buying of presents and trying to find the most special present one can, can think up, in participating in all the wonderful services. You can imagine as a dog collar, I do a fair number of services at this time of year, and it's easy to just get caught up in the ritual and, and the preparing on the, the next kind of thing that's coming along. It's also easy, I think, for us to fill Christmas with, with nostalgia, you know, dreaming of Christmas's past to our youth. You know what? In all of those things, it can become very easy for us to miss the heart of Christmas itself in all of the family and the traditions and the giving. But Christmas provides us with an opportunity to reflect, an opportunity for us to do things differently, perhaps this year. Here at All Souls, for those of you who are regulars and, and those of you who aren't, we, in the season, in preparation for Christmas, we looked at the Jesse tree. Now, that is a Jesse tree, and it, is, uh, it comes out of Scripture. It's a, a prophecy that a a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. It's a prophecy about Jesus. It's a prophecy that out of his family tree, if you like, the stump of what used to be, comes this new birth, this new life, the one who will be the Messiah. And I guess it's through the season of preparation and, and today too, we ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus? We know kind of lots about him. We know all of the, the things and the traditions but who is Jesus really? What is Christmas? What is Christmas all about? In looking at the family tree, maybe you think that that's a slightly strange place to start in trying to understand who Jesus is. But the, the, uh, as far as Scripture is concerned, we have four Gospels. Two of those Gospels include Jesus' family tree as they begin to describe the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so a family tree is a, an important place to start. We live in an age, I think, uh, where many of us are interested in our family trees. I don't know how many of you. Uh, tends to be those of us, as we start getting slightly older, we realize that our days are, are limited, and we begin to ponder on where we fit in in the great cycle, where our little link is between the, the past and, and the future. And we be getting to become more interested in these things. And I'm really grateful in my family for those who have done the family research in the past. I'm not going to bore you with, with my family history, but I have the usual smattering of bankers and lawyers and, and military men. And my grandmother used to tell some of the stories, I remember vaguely as a child, of her telling of some of the quirky people within, within our family tree. I remember, for instance, that somewhere in the distant past there was an admiral who had the grim distinction of being executed for treason and then being pardoned a few months afterwards, for which I'm sure he was very grateful. 
I also have the distinction of being related again, somehow distantly, my grandmother had fathomed it out, of a British Prime Minister. Again, a British Prime Minister who has the, the grim distinction of being the only British Prime Minister to ever have been assassinated. Assassinated on the steps of the Houses of Parliament. So Boris Johnson, be, be warned, there's a precedent. But you know, as I've become more interested in, in family trees and I go beyond the stories that my grandmother told, good shot, um, I've become interested in those less told stories, the stories that perhaps my gran wasn't quite so proud about. And they were the stories of human failure. And I'm sure that as you reflect on your family trees, you probably have one or two of those as well. Maybe you have one or two of those coming to Christmas dinner later on this afternoon. I'm going to tell you about just, just one very, very briefly. He was my great-great-grandfather. And he was, uh, well, he was a man of some means. He inherited two fortunes, and he made a fortune of his own in an age when railways and mines and the Industrial Revolution was just surging in the United Kingdom. He was, uh, found himself elected as a, as a member of parliament. But at his birth, uh, at his death rather, he had managed to get through all three of his fortunes. And he had to hide away from his creditors. Living in his house, he in fact built a little bridge over the road so he could go into the pleasure garden on the other side and not be arrested for all the debt that he had incurred. But there's a story of redemption in the midst of the human failing. My great-grandfather, who on the death of his father, sold all that he owned, paid off his father's debts, and boarded a ship to escape the shame. And he landed in South Africa in October 1842. I still carry his surname as one of my middle names. And so I, I carry him close to my heart. So our family trees are full of pointers perhaps to who we might be, maybe warnings against who we don't want to be, our families, whether we like it or not, shape who we look like, our physical appearance. Our families determine where we were born. They determine quite a lot of our culture, our values. And even our personalities are shaped to some extent by our earliest experiences of our families. I owe my education, my material well-being. I owe so much to my family tree. And in some ways, our family trees are a, are a summary, a shorthand of the cards that we have been dealt in life. Jesus' family tree is, is no different. It is a summary as you read through both Luke, and I particularly love Matthew's uh, version of his family tree. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and so he included not just the great heroes of the faith that all of the Jews who read it would have recognized, the Davids and the Abrahams. But he also recognized some curious ones, some members of the family tree that perhaps my grandmother wouldn't have spoken about, the quirky ones, the ones who perhaps even brought shame to the family. Uniquely, 
uniquely in Jesus' family tree, as uh, told by, by Matthew. There are four women. And if you go and look at them, they aren't the great heroes, the women who are married to, to, to great men. It's people like Tamar. Tamar, who, yes, if you read Scripture, was the victim of rape and was indulged in incest. In Jesus' family tree is incest. There was Rahab. How many of you know the story of, of Rahab? We had it retold to us during this Advent series. Rahab, the woman of the night. Rahab, the prostitute, who was made good, redeemed. What about Ruth? Ruth, not of pure Jewish blood. No, an outsider. Ruth from Moab, the foreigner, the one of impure blood amongst the chosen race. And what about Bathsheba? We all know a little bit about Bathsheba and David. Guilty, in some ways, the victim of, of David's lust, David's eventual murder, Bathsheba, part of Jesus' family line. So what are we to make of Jesus' family tree? What do they say about, about Jesus? We come to worship Jesus, the newborn king, Jesus, the redeemer, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the good Jew. And yet here we have this complex family tree, perhaps a little bit like mine and maybe just a little bit like yours. I believe shaping Jesus, the Jesus born in the stable, the Jesus born in poverty, the Jesus born without influence, the Jesus born in none of the ways that we would imagine for a Messiah, for a king, for a prince. I believe shaped in Jesus, not only by his birth, but by his family tree, was a compassion for those who are outsiders, those who are different, those who have fallen, and Jesus comes and he redeems them. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves my family, and he loves yours. A question that I want to put to you. I hope that there are many here who feel nothing but joy as you think about your families. You've had nothing but good experience of your upbringing, nothing but gratitude for the things that you've inherited from those who have gone before. But maybe, just maybe, there are some of you here who look back to your childhoods with pain, with confusion, maybe with some anger. Maybe there are some of you here who carry some scars from the cards that were dealt to you at your birth. And maybe you carry those, and they have shaped your life. Either way, whether you love your family and are proud of it and rejoice in it, or whether you have some questions about where you came from, either way, Christmas is for you. The second point that I want to make that really comes out of Christmas, and it comes out of our, 
our readings uh, this morning, that wonderful reading from Luke, the retelling of the Christmas story. It's wonderful. It's so familiar to, to all of us. It's all of those crib services bound together in one passage. But have you ever asked yourself the question of why Luke chose to mention things like censuses, why he mentioned kings, why he mentioned governors, Quirinius, Quirinius mentioned nowhere else in all of history, and yet Luke anchors his story in facts, in people, in circumstances. You see, I think we lose perhaps the significance of what Luke was saying. For us, when we have a, a census, as we do every so often, you know, we fill in a piece of paper, we, we hand it back, and, you know, nothing really changes. We pay taxes whether we fill in our, our census or not. Uh, in South Africa, sadly, service delivery remains as atrocious as ever, regardless of what we say and do. But, you know, in Jesus' time, censuses were things of power. Those who had the power to call a census, to count who, many, who was there, to determine who could pay tax, these were the people of power. And those who had no choice but to go up to Jerusalem or to wherever it might be, to Bethlehem, and to go and fulfill the requirements of the, 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 the powerful, they had no say in the matter. And in the minds of everybody who would have read those lines, who would have experienced the census, who would have known what it was like to live under the power of the Romans, to live under the governors, they would have known that as Luke tells his story, he puts it in the context not of sentimentality, not in the midst of, of quaint and warm traditions. He places it in the heart of reality. He places Jesus' birth in the reality of a power struggle going on in the world of his day. I don't think the world has changed very, very much in actual fact. After 20 years of the birth of democracy in our country, really some of the same questions still, in fact, need to be asked. Who really is in charge of South Africa and the South African government? Who profits, profits from political and economic decisions that are made quite often on our behalf and we have no say in? Maybe the most critical question that they asked in Jesus' time, and maybe we should ask too, when will it change? And maybe even more important than that, how are we called to bring about the change that we seek? And these are questions that are being asked not in South Africa alone, but across the world in different contexts, being answered in different ways, but all across the world a restlessness, a restlessness with the power structures, asking questions about when will the world change and what must we do to make this place a better place. You see, Jesus was born into a messy world. Christmas was not about an escape from reality. It wasn't about an escape plan so that we could all live cozy, happy lives in eternity. That's part of it. That's wonderful good news. But Christmas is asking us difficult questions. Jesus is born and he embraces the brokenness and the pain of the world in which he finds himself. He doesn't avoid it. 
He embodies it. Race, power, hatred, the haves and the have-nots, the refugees, the vulnerable, the women, the children. Jesus embraces them. And he says, the world is going to be different. Christmas is about Jesus, about God doing something about our world and its darkness. It's a start. It's an unfolding plan. So I think as I, as I come into land, I promise, Christmas poses for us three challenges, three questions. We discover these things as we unwrap and we ask, who is Jesus? We discover that Jesus has a past. He has a family tree. And we get to ask ourselves questions about who we were created to be. What about the, the hand of cards that each of us has been dealt? We also acknowledge that Jesus was born into a particular context. And we need to ask ourselves about the world in which we live. Maybe about the scars that we bear because of the world in which we live, about the challenges that we have encountered. Some of us here this morning have to ask ourselves and maybe come to terms or maybe deep within our hearts acknowledge that we have been victims of our circumstances. Maybe there's some of you here this morning who feel that you are the victim of injustice. Maybe there is anger and rage within you about this world in which we live. Christmas is for you. Christmas is for you because the final thing, the third thing, is that Christmas gives us a decision to make. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This is the Jesus that we acknowledge, that we worship, that we celebrate this morning. Our theme for this Advent has been unwrapping the greatest gift. God the Father gives to us his greatest gift. He gives to us his Son. Paul writes, and he wasn't a man who very often lost his words, but Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift, the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus comes to rescue us. Jesus comes to rebuild broken relationships. Jesus comes to offer us forgiveness for the things that we have done. Maybe we are the one who has failed as we look at our family trees. Maybe we are in desperate need of being restored by a God who loves us. Jesus comes not just as a baby, but Jesus comes as one who lives and reigns and who is here for us this day, who by his Spirit invites us to enter into an ongoing relationship with him. Jesus pours out his Spirit upon us. Jesus offers us this day a decision. You know, a gift, even the greatest gift, has to be received. 
our presents that some of us have already unwrapped this morning, or maybe some of us are waiting with bated breath to go and open them a little later after the service. Those gifts you need to receive, and you need to unwrap them. In John's Gospel, and this is where I'm more or less going to end, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but children born of God. We have an opportunity to receive, to believe, and through that, through the decision that we make this day, the right to become children. And that changes everything. We live in a world where people increasingly have lost all sense of who they really are, have lost a sense of their purpose and of their identity. Jesus says, in me, you are beloved children. You are children of the Father in heaven, the most perfect and wonderful Father that you can possibly imagine. And so this day, this Christmas day, with all of its joys, with all of its challenges, with family and with presents and with traditions, let me hold out to you again the greatest gift of all. The greatest gift is Jesus himself. And the invitation to you this day is to receive him afresh. Maybe you have received Jesus already. Maybe you received Jesus years and years and years ago. The opportunity of this beautiful, beautiful new day is for you to receive that gift afresh and to say in your heart, Jesus, thank you for all that you mean to me. If we want to change the world, which is what I believe that is our call as Christians, Christianity is not just about comforting us, it's not about just our, our identity, but it is about fulfilling the ongoing plans of God, which is to transform this world, then we have a gift that also needs to be shared. It's a gift that can be given, the gift of hope, of love, the gift of joy in the midst of often sadness. That is ours to give in Jesus Christ. Our reading from Isaiah this day. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, who say to the world, your God reigns. And so I pray that you will have the most blessed, wonderful Christmas day today, and that you will open the most wonderful, blessed present, and that your life would be changed and that the world around you would be changed through you. Amen. And so let us pray. <clears throat> o sweet child of Bethlehem, grant that we may share with all our hearts in this profound mystery of Christmas. Put into the hearts of men and women this peace for which they sometimes seek so desperately and which you alone can give to them. 
Help them to know one another better, to live as brothers and sisters, children of the same Father. Reveal to us 